Chapter 9 of Eight Cousins by Louisa May Alcott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter 9 Phoebe's Secret. Why do you keep smiling to yourself, Phoebe? asked Rose as they were working together one morning, for Dr. Alec considered housework the best sort of gymnastics for girls. So Rose took lessons from Phoebe in sweeping, dusting, and bed-making. I was thinking about a nice little secret I know, and I couldn't help smiling. Shall I know it sometime? Guess you will. Shall I like it? Oh, won't you, though? Will it happen soon? Sometime this week. I know what it is. The boys are going to have fireworks on the 4th, and have got some surprise for me haven't they? That's telling. Well, I can wait. Only tell me one thing. Is Uncle in it? Of course he is. There's never any fun without him. Then it is all right, and sure to be nice. Rose went out on the balcony to shake the rugs, and having given them a vigorous beating, hung them on the balustrade to air while she took a look at her plants. Several tall vases and jars stood there, and the month of June's sun and rain had worked wonders with the seeds and slips she had planted. Morning glories and nasturtiums ran all over the bars, making haste to bloom. Scarlet beans and honeysuckles were climbing up from below to meet their pretty neighbors, and the woodbine was hanging its green festoons wherever it could cling. The waters of the bay were dancing in the sunshine. A fresh wind stirred the chestnut trees with a pleasant sound and the garden below was full of roses, butterflies, and bees. A great chirping and twittering went on among the birds, busy with their summer housekeeping, and far away the white-winged gulls were dipping and diving in the sea, where ships, like larger birds, went sailing to and fro. Oh, Phoebe, it's such a lovely day. I do wish your fine secret were going to happen right away. I feel just like having a good time, don't you? said Rose, waving her arms as if she were going to fly. I often feel that way, but I have to wait for my good times, and don't stop working to wish for him. There, now, you can finish as soon as the dust settles. I must go do my stairs. And Phoebe trudged away with the broom, singing as she went. Rose leaned where she was, and fell to thinking how many good times she had had lately, for the gardening had prospered well, and she was learning to swim and row, and there were drives and walks and quiet hours of reading and talk with Uncle Alec, and, best of all, the old pain and new seldom troubled her now. She could work and play all day, sleep sweetly all night, and enjoy life with the zest of a healthy, happy child. She was far from being as strong and hearty as Phoebe, but she was getting on. The once pale cheeks had color in them now, the hands were growing plump and brown, and the belt was not much too loose. No one talked to her about her health, and she forgot that she had no constitution. She took no medicine but Dr. Alec's three great remedies, and they seemed to suit her excellently. Aunt Plenty said it was the pills, but, as no second batch ever followed the first, I think the old lady was mistaken. Rose looked worthy of her name as she stood smiling to herself over a happier secret than any Phoebe had, a secret which she did not know herself till she found out, some years later, the magic of good health. Look only, said the brownie, at the pretty gown of blue, 
at the kerchief pinned about her head and at her little shoe, said a voice from below, as a great cabbage rose came flying against her cheek. "'What is the princess dreaming about up there in her hanging garden?' added Dr. Alec, as she flung back a morning glory. "'I was wishing I could do something pleasant this fine day, something very new and interesting, for the wind makes me feel frisky and gay.' "'Suppose we take a pull over to the island. I intended to go this afternoon, but if you feel more like it now, we can be off at once.' "'I do, I do. I'll come in fifteen minutes, Uncle. I must just scramble my room to rights, for Phoebe has a great deal to do.' Rose caught up the rugs and vanished as she spoke, while Dr. Alec went in, saying to himself, with an indulgent smile, "'It may upset things a trifle, but half a child's pleasure consists in having his fun when he wants it.' Never did Duster flap more briskly than the one Rose used that day, and never was a room scrambled to rise in such haste as hers. Tables and chairs flew into their places as if alive, curtains shook as if a gale were blowing, china rattled and small articles tumbled about as if a young earthquake were playing with them. The boating suit went on in a twinkling, and Rose was off with a hop and a skip, little dreaming how many hours it would be before she saw her pretty room again. Uncle Alec was putting a large basket into the boat when she arrived, and before they were off, Phoebe came running down with a queer, knobby bundle, done up in a waterproof. "'We can't eat half that luncheon, and I know we shall not need so many wraps. I wouldn't lumber the boat up so,' said Rose, who still had secret scares when on the water. "'Couldn't you make a smaller parcel, Phoebe?' asked Dr. Alec, eyeing the bundle suspiciously. "'No, sir, not in such a hurry.' and Phoebe laughed as she gave a particularly large knob a good poke. "'Well, it will do for ballast. Don't forget the note to Mrs. Jessie, I beg of you.' "'No, sir, I'll send it right off.' And Phoebe ran up the bank as if she had wings to her feet. "'We'll take a look at the lighthouse first, for you have not been there yet, and it is worth seeing. By the time we have done that it will be pretty warm, and we will have lunch under the trees on the island.' Rose was ready for anything, and enjoyed her visit to the lighthouse on the point very much, especially climbing up the narrow stairs and going inside the great lantern. They made a long stay, for Dr. Alec seemed in no hurry to go, and kept looking through his spyglass as if he expected to discover something remarkable on sea or land. It was past twelve before they reached the island, and Rose was ready for her lunch long before she got it. "'Now this is lovely!' I do wish the boys were here. Won't it be nice to have them with us all their vacation? Why, it begins today, doesn't it? Oh, I wish I'd remembered it sooner, and perhaps they would have come with us, she said as they lay luxuriously eating sandwiches under the old apple tree. So we might. Next time we won't be in such a hurry. I expect the lads will be taking our heads off when they find us out, answered Dr. Alec placidly drinking cold tea. "'Uncle, I smell a frying sort of smell,' Rose said, pausing suddenly as she was putting away the remains of the lunch half an hour later. "'So do I. It is fish, I think.' For a moment they both sat with their noses in the air, sniffing like hounds. Then Dr. Alex sprang up, saying with great decision, "'Now this won't do. No one is permitted on this island without asking leave.' I must see who dares to fry fish on my private property. 
taking the basket on one arm and the bundle on the other he strode away toward the traitorous smell looking as fierce as a lion while rose marched bravely along under her umbrella we are robertson crusoe and his man friday going to see if the savages have come she said presently for her fancy was full of the dear old stories that all children love so well and there they are two tents and two boats as i live these rascals mean to enjoy themselves that's evident there ought to be more boats and no tents i wonder where the prisoners are there are traces of them and dr alec pointed to the heads and tails of fishes strewn on the grass and there are more said rose laughing as she pointed to a scarlet heap of what looked like lobsters the savages are probably eating their victims now don't you hear the knives rattle in that tent we ought to creep up and peep crusoe was cautious you know and friday scared out of his wits added rose still keeping up the joke but this crusoe is going to pounce upon them regardless of consequences if i am killed and eaten you seize the basket and run for the boat there are provisions enough for your voyage home with that uncle alec slipped round to the front of the tent and casting in the big bundle like a bombshell roared out in a voice of thunder pirates surrender a crash a shout a laugh and out came the savages brandishing knives and forks chicken bones and tin mugs and all fell upon the intruder pummeling him unmercifully as they cried you came too soon we're not half ready you spoiled it all where is rose here i am answered a half-stifled voice and rose was discovered sitting on the pile of red flannel bathing clothes which she had mistaken for lobsters and where she had fallen in a fit of merriment when she discovered that the cannibals were her merry cousins you good-for-nothing boys you are always bursting out upon me in some ridiculous way and i always get taken in because i'm not used to such pranks uncle is as bad as the rest i like it however and it's great fun she said as the lads came round her half scolding half welcoming and wholly enjoying the double surprise you are not to come till afternoon and mamma was to be here to receive you everything is in a mess now except your tent we got that in order the first thing and you can sit there and see us work said archie doing the honors as usual rose felt it in her bones as debbie says that something was in the wind and wanted to be off at once so i let her come and should have kept her away an hour longer if your fish had not betrayed you explained uncle alec subsiding from a ferocious crusoe into his good-natured self again as this seat is rather damp i think i'll rise said rose as the excitement lessened a little several fishy hands helped her up and charlie said as he scattered the scarlet garments over the grass with an oar we had a jolly good swim before dinner and i told the brats to spread these to dry hope you brought your things rose for you belong to the lobsters you know and we can have no fun of teaching you to dive and float on your back and tread water i didn't bring anything began rose but was interrupted by the brats otherwise will and geordie who appeared bearing the big bundle so much demoralized by its fall that a red flannel tunic trailed out at one end and a little blue dressing-gown at the other while the knobs proved to be a toilet case rubbers and a silver mug oh that sly phoebe this was the secret and she bundled up those things after i went down to the boat cried rose with sparkling eyes 
"'Guess something is smashed inside, for a bit of glass fell out,' observed Will, as they deposited the odd-looking bundle at her feet. "'Catch a girl going anywhere without a looking-glass. We haven't got one among the whole lot of us,' added Mac, with masculine scorn. "'Dandy has. I caught him touching up his wig behind the trees after our swim,' cut in Geordie, wagging a derisive finger at Steve who promptly silenced him by a smart rap on the head with the drumstick he had just polished off. "'Come, come, you lazy lubbers. Follow work, or we shall not be ready for Mama. Take Rose's things to her tent and tell her all about it, Prince. Mac and Steve, you cut away and bring up the rest of the straw. And you small chaps clear off the table, if you have stuffed all you can. Please, Uncle, I like your advice about the boundary lines and the best place for the kitchen.' Everyone obeyed the chief, and Rose was escorted to her tent by Charlie, who devoted himself to her service. She was charmed with her quarters, and still more so with the program with which he unfolded before her as they worked. We always camp out somewhere in vacation, and this year we thought we'd try the island. It is handy, and our fireworks will show off well from here. Shall we stay over the fourth? Three whole days? Oh, me! What a frolic it will be! Bless your heart, we often camp for a week, we big fellows. But this year the small chaps wanted to come, so we let them. We have great larks, as you'll see, for we have a cave and play Captain Kidd, and have shipwrecks and races and all sorts of games. Arch and I are rather past that kind of thing now, but we do it to please the children, added Charlie with a sudden recollection of his sixteen years. I had no idea boys had such good times. Their plays never seemed a bit interesting before, but I suppose that was because I never knew any boys very well, or perhaps you are unusually nice ones, observed Rose, with an artless air of appreciation that was very flattering. We are a pretty clever set, I fancy, but we have a good many advantages, you see. There are a tribe of us to begin with. Then our family has been here for ages, and we have plenty of spondulics so we can rather lord it over the other fellows and do as we like. There, ma'am, you can hang your smashed glass on that nail and do up your back hair as fine as you please. You can have a blue blanket or a red one, and a straw pillow or an air cushion for your head, whichever you like. You can trim up to any extent and be as free and easy as squaws in a wigwam, for this corner is set apart for you ladies, and we never cross the line that Uncle was drawing until we ask leave. Anything more I can do for you, cousin? No, thank you. I think I'll leave the rest till Auntie comes, and go and help you somewhere else if I may. Yes, indeed. Come on and see the kitchen. Can you cook? Asked Charlie as he led the way to the rocky nook where Archie was putting up a sailcloth awning. I can make tea and toast bread. Well, we'll show you how to fry fish and make chowder. Now you just set these pots and pans round tastefully, and sort of tidy up a bit. For Aunt Jessie insists on doing some of the work, and I want it to be decent here. By four o'clock the camp was in order, and the weary workers settled down on Lookout Rock to watch for Mrs. Jessie and Jamie, who was never far from Mama's apron string. They looked like a flock of bluebirds, all being in sailor rig with enough blue ribbon flying from the seven hats to have set up a milliner. Very tuneful bluebirds they were, too, for all the lads sang and the echo of their happy voices reached Mrs. Jessie long before she saw them. The moment the boat hove in sight, up went the island flag, 
and the blue jackets cheered lustily, as they did on every possible occasion, like true young Americans. This welcome was answered by the flapping of a handkerchief, and the shrill, rah, 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 of the one small tar who stood in the stern, waving his hat manfully, while a maternal hand clutched him firmly in the rear. Cleopatra, landing from her golden galley, never received a heartier greeting than little Mum, as she was borne to her tent by the young folk, for love of whom she smiling resigned herself to three days of discomfort, while Jamie immediately attached himself to Rose, assuring her of his protection from the manifold perils which might assail them. Taught by long experience that boys are always hungry, Aunt Jessie soon proposed supper and proceeded to get it, enveloped in an immense apron, with an old hat of Archie's stuck atop of her cap. Rose helped and tried to be as handy as Phoebe, though the peculiar style of table she had to set made it no easy task. It was accomplished at last, and a very happy party lay about under the trees, eating and drinking out of anyone's plate and cup, and quite untroubled by the frequent appearance of ants and spiders in places which these interesting insects are not expected to adorn. "'I never thought I should like to wash dishes, but I do,' said Rose, as she sat in the boat after supper, lazily rinsing plates in the sea, and rocking luxuriously as she wiped them. Mum is mighty particular. We just give them a scrub with sand and dust them off with a bit of paper. It's much the best way, I think, replied Geordie, who reposed in another boat alongside. How Phoebe would like this. I wonder Uncle did not have her come. I believe he tried to, but Debbie was as cross as two sticks and said she couldn't spare her. I'm sorry, for we all like the Phoebe bird, and she'd chirp like a good one out here wouldn't she? She ought to have a holiday like the rest of us. It's too bad to leave her out. This thought came back to Rose several times that evening, for Phoebe would have added much to the little concert they had in the moonlight, would have enjoyed the stories told, been quick at guessing the conundrums, and laughed with all her heart at the fun. The merry going to bed would have been best of all, for Rose wanted someone to cuddle under the blue blanket with her, there to whisper and giggle and tell secrets as girls delight to do. Long after the rest were asleep, Rose lay wide awake, excited by the novelty of everything about her, and a thought that had come into her mind. Far away she heard a city clock strike twelve. A large star like a mild eye peeped in at the opening of the tent, and the soft plash of the waves seemed calling her to come out. Aunt Jessie lay fast asleep, with Jamie rolled up like a kitten at her feet, and neither stirred as Rose and her wrapper crept out to see how the world looked at midnight. She found it very lovely, and sat down on a cracker keg to enjoy it with a heart full of the innocent sentiment of her years. Fortunately, Dr. Alex saw her before she had time to catch cold, for, coming out to tie back the door flap of his tent for more air, he beheld the small figure, perched in the moonlight, Having no fear of ghosts, he quietly approached, and seeing that she was wide awake, said with a hand on her shining hair, "'What is my girl doing here?' "'Having a good time,' answered Rose, not at all startled. "'I wonder what she was thinking about so soberly.' "'The story you told of the brave sailor, who gave up his place on the raft to the woman, and the last drop of water to the poor baby.' "'People who make sacrifices are very much loved and admired, aren't they?' she asked earnestly. 
if the sacrifice is a true one, but many of the bravest never are known and get no praise. That does not lessen their beauty, though perhaps it makes them harder, for we all like sympathy. And Dr. Alex sighed a patient sort of sigh. I suppose you have made a great many. Would you mind telling me one of them? Asked Rose, arrested by the sigh. My last was to give up smoking, was the very unromantic answer to her pensive question. Why did you? Bad example for the boys. That was very good of you, Uncle. Was it hard? I am ashamed to say it was, but, as a wise old fellow once said, it is necessary to do right. It is not necessary to be happy. Rose pondered over the saying as if it pleased her, and then said with a clear, bright look, A real sacrifice is giving up something you want or enjoy very much, isn't it? Yes. Doing it one's own self? Because one loves another person very much and wants her to be happy? Yes. And doing it pleasantly and being glad about it and not minding the praise if it doesn't come? Yes, dear, that is the true spirit of self-sacrifice. You seem to understand it, and I dare say you will have many chances in your life to try the real thing. I hope they won't be very hard ones. I think they will, began Rose, and there stopped short. Well, make one now and go to sleep, or my girl will be ill tomorrow, and then the aunts will say camping out was bad for her. I'll go. Good night. And throwing him a kiss, the little ghost vanished, leaving Uncle Alec to pace the shore and think about some of the unsuspected sacrifices that had made him what he was. End of chapter 9 Recording by Maria Therese